you know what I mean, Tom? It's like you can't, if you wanted to be like truly topical, it's all you'd ever talk about. Or it's it's got, it's got to the point where it's ceased to become topical because it's so every day. If you know what I mean? Yeah. If you include Europe and America... It's pretty much every week. Every week, there's a terrorist attack. Yeah. And it would be one segment every week of the podcast would be dedicated to, yeah, Islamic terrorism again. But I just... I don't see an end in sight, Tom. Yeah, like, my nephew talks a lot about how Trump's a bad man. It's probably their teachers telling them every oh, day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Saying, like, he was coming to me saying, like, oh, he shouldn't be the president. Hillary should be the president. And it's like, well, yeah, Hillary lost. You're a kid... But eventually, one day, you'll realise that your preferred candidate doesn't always win. And um, she was just a bad, bad candidate. Sanders would have won now. They're all kicking themselves. She's created a bit of a paradox, Hillary. Because I think, arguably, Donald Trump is one of the worst she's presidential not, candidates of all time. She's not but cre- Hillary, Hillary lost to him. Yeah, but she's not created a paradox. She's created a resistance movement. <laughs> that was kind of done on her behalf. Hillary disappeared. She walked off into the mountains, remember? And it was like Hillary aides were kind of randomly coming, like stumbling across her out in what the was, woods. What was in the mountains, though? Her fortress of solitude. Yeah, that, she, like, she, she had to re-energise her powers. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. To another episode of the Tom, Dick, and still no Hyman show, the Hyman no show show. Once your Hyman's gone, it's it's pretty much hard to replace, <laughs> you know what I mean? There are some very good surgeons out there, apparently. Because he was due to the show, and he said he was going to come, but then he took last minute a bit of contract work. He's still on the zero hours contract, so. The voice of Tim there, as Hello. always, once again joined Hello. by Tim. Yeah. I can't wait till you stop paying me. <laughs> On today's show, we're going to be attempting to assess Donald Trump. His first 100 days marker has come and gone. We're still here, aren't we? Yep. It's not a smoking crater where, <laughs> where the Northern Hemisphere used to be. So. And then after that, Tim and I have both done a jury service most recently. I've done it in the last week. It's very, very clear and present memory and uh, a good one in some ways. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. We'll build our own pipeline. Clean coal. Obamacare will explode. It's not a Muslim ban. It's working out very nicely. The time for trivial fights is behind us. Somebody said I should not criticize judges. Okay, I'll criticize judges. Honestly, look like a million and a half people. Why it's happening? We are fighting the fake news. It's fake, phony, fake. Alternative fact. Nothing fair about the media. The time for small thinking is over. The NATO alliance. NATO. NATO. Sweden. I have great respect for the president of China. We had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake. North Korea. A very big problem in North Korea. Do you respect Putin? I do respect Putin. Why? Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with them. We've just launched 59 missiles heading to Iraq. Syria. Yes, heading toward Syria. That's a butcher. That's a butcher. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars we're saving. Ridiculous. Thousands and thousands of jobs. Great, great, great. Greatest president. God bless you and God bless America. That courtesy of the Telegraph YouTube channel. What was that music? 
I think it was from like Under Siege or <laughs> <laughs> you generic know, 90s action yeah, film. Yeah, Hard Target. So Trump came into the White House with a lot of bluster, a lot of gusto about how great his first hundred days were going to be. And uh, as that hundred day mark actually started to approach, Trump was kind of moving backwards. He was backtracking away from how great his initial claim of how great his first hundred days were going to be by saying "Ah, hundred days. ah, It's just an arbitrary figure. It doesn't really mean anything. Why? Why judge me on just my first hundred days? Which is sort of similar to what Obama said, just nowhere near as eloquently. Oh, Obama, he was quite smart. As the run-up to 100 days was approaching, Obama was quick to make the narrative all about, oh, listen, it's not 100 days. You're not going to fix America in 100 days. It's going to take 1,000 days. So he was talking long-term, which is why there was no real big brouhaha back in, what, 2009? Mm -hmm. The practice first started with uh, FDR, which stands for? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh, well done, well remembered. And uh, that was back in 1933. But FDR was making reference to uh, the first 100 days of the 73rd Congress, not his specific first 100 days as president. Okay, so he he sort of started the tradition. Yeah, and of course, he was talking about uh, he was going to make all these economic reforms, because obviously in the 1930s, we're talking the Depression era. Yeah, no, every, any economic thing would be a reform in that, in that <laughs> yeah. circumstance. And desperately needed. Yeah. So FDR... Yes. started the practice back in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, he didn't intend to, but it be- kind of became it became a trope where presidential candidates, presidential hopefuls, would make a point of saying, this is what I'm going to get done in my first 100 days. And invariably, every single presidential candidate that did that, they missed their targets, including, I think even Obama did, but Obama was smart. It's not about 100 days, it's about 1,000 days. You know, I'm, I'm changing America but do you think 100 days, is it just a completely arbitrary number? Should we even bother doing this anymore? It's a nice round number. It's not worth doing yeah. anymore, is it's it? It's a good sounding number. Yeah, but th- there'll be like a year of Trump. That- that's just another a 200 days, it's 300 just, days. It's, it's just a self-generating story. Now, what did Trump actually say he would get done? So what, what would be a big one for you, Tim, that Trump said he was going to get done swiftly? It's, I heard something very interesting the other day, how Trump always has these like sort of three-worders, like build the wall. Yeah. Drain the swamp, lock her up. Lion Ted Cruz. (laughs) So he hasn't locked up Hillary. Let's take the first big one, the most prominent one, Donald Trump, build the wall. Has the wall been built? I think they had a competition for designs and a, okay. a, a winner has been found but the right well, ones most of them from like children I don't, I don't know but they've picked one I should have sent in my guillotine wall idea because you know the Mexicans are just going to drill under it <laughs> so you set it up so that when they drill under it the slab giant concrete slabs just fall down on top of them yeah they call it the guillotine wall <laughs> <laughs> What are you saying? There's already walls on There's certain sections, one. you know. But it's like it's like Gosh, giant metal yeah. girders coming out of these concrete slabs. Yeah. It's not like a real wall. Yeah. But that's probably a good thing that you can see through it, though. Life is but, random, isn't it? You know, one cho- cho- chooses where they're born on this planet. It's luck of the draw, mate. But in terms of the wall, like, what's holding things up here? I think it's more logistical in terms of uh, financing the things. Getting funding. Trying to get the Mexicans to pay for it, as he wants, but that does, I think that's going to be backtracking. Yeah, he's dropped that already. He's going to be doing so much backtracking, Trump. He tried to use the signing of executive orders, and so he signed an executive order that pretty much said, using pre-existing legislation in regards to border controls, any budgets involved in that legislation steer that money towards building the wall. 
The problem mm. for Trump, though, is is almost all of the pre-existing border control legislation has ring-fenced the budgets so that you can't spend that money on building a wall. Like, it will specifically say this money cannot go towards the building of a border wall. Mm. I think he's he's shown that he's strong in terms of international terrorism and war, whether that's a good or bad thing. Like, you know, he retaliated to the chemical attack in Syria, didn't he? The only thing he's done where he but gave then he, forewarning. Yeah, but then he did the uh, the MO, the, the MOB, didn't he? The mother of all bombs, that big fuel air bomb. Yeah. Drop that on the cave complex. That seems like quite a successful operation. Well, how was that going to go wrong? <laughs> they bombed like a hospital. Yeah. It can only go wrong if the bomb doesn't go off, really. But how about another big one? The Muslim ban? Oh, yeah. It's not a Muslim uh, ban. It's a travel ban from uh, seven countries that came up on a CIA list for dangerous countries of Islamic nutjobism. Famously Obama's list as well. Yeah. Technically, okay, the actual wording of the executive order didn't say Muslim ban. It said immigration ban. And I think it used immigration and travel interchangeably. But Trump did say in the run-up to the election, he did say he was going to ban Muslims from coming into the country yeah. until we get this whole ISIS thing sorted out. But he, he's, he's facing a wall of opposition to that because any, any attempt uh, in any political arena, any political direction to reduce immigration, would, it goes against the wishes of this deep government. You know, they, they, for whatever reason, there is this sort of international agenda to have a lot of people moving around the world. Alex Jones would call it globalism. Yeah, he's, he seems to be backtrack he seems to be like turning back on that he did try and get it through and i'm not sure i can't remember if you call it the ninth district circuit or ninth district court something like that they blocked it yeah because it's like listen bruv we know this is a muslim ban yeah you can't do that this is america yeah you can't ban a specific demographic of people you technically actually you can yeah and it's been done it's been done before jimmy carter did it to iranians yeah, I think and, it's been done to the Japanese before. Yeah, I think it's pretty, Although that might have been ruled unconstitutional. I think it's been done like pretty regularly around the world. What really bothered me about the Muslim ban, the immigration ban, was the way that he did it. He did it in such a chaotic, haphazard way. Like, he didn't give anybody any prior warning. Not airlines, embassies. One Boris Johnson didn't know about, <laughs> didn't know it was coming. It just fell in his lap. And it's like, what are you going to do, Bojo? How am I going to get into America? I'm a Hindu. Let me in. It's an often used term. He is the most powerful man in the world yeah that's the, that's the saying yeah yeah he has this thing called executive order power where he can basically get a napkin and write as president of the united states i hereby declare executive order you know that, that he can make that he can or at least set the, the wheels in motion for these things you know it's, what, it's tremendous amounts of power but what about the old the line from spider-man with great power comes great responsibility he, where was the responsibility? He and, didn't tell anyone. And come on, if, if you look at Spider-Man's career over the last, what, 50 years in comics, he's done some pretty irresponsible things. But Trump did create complete chaos for about 36 hours of just yeah. blockages at airports, mm. like uh, professional athletes and things like that not being yeah. able to compete. If it was a Tom Clancy novel, it would be like, and in the end, even though they hated him. Trump saved the world because there had been the specific terrorist threat. You know. Ah, are you um, are you trying to, to suggest that if Britain had a Muslim ban, the well, terrorist... Muslim ban, it, a travel ban from certain countries? All Tom, right. all right, fair Tom. enough. Are you suggesting this travel ban? This may have perhaps prevented the uh, terrorist attack of last Monday night at the Ariana Grande. No, Grandi, no, because Abidi Buddha 
nutcase was Islamist scumbag was his parents were Libyan refugees mm. who were political opponents to Colonel Gaddafi because they were members of like ISIS type things in the 80s so we gave him a home over here he was born over here born in Manchester died in Manchester oasis loving cunt <laughs> <laughs> haven't got a hell of a lot to say about the terrorist attack to be honest it's like we didn't we did a podcast a couple episodes back talking about Pavlovian responses to terrorist attacks I know and we went through those steps again I know but it's like people, people would think they were listening to the same show every week if we talked about the main news story every week. I mean, there's, in this instance, there's a little bit increased severity, if you will, just by the uh, fact that um, it was teenagers, young people yeah, but who were targeted. But what yeah. I find kind of perturbing, right, we got over it pretty quickly. We moved on fairly quickly. I mean, I would say I within like 36 so. hours. According to the media we have, I've mm. been hearing a lot of... Oh, obviously, uh, I've been hearing a lot of angry talk down the gym. Everyone went through the rage of like, fucking deport his family, deport his friends, abolish his mosque. Do you know what I mean? Even though he was kicked out of his mosque. Muslims need to do more, even though they kind of are doing more. And it's really the police don't have yeah. enough powers. We mustn't, we mustn't be hard on Muslims because it will only piss them off more and radicalize more and make more bobs. <laughs> Back to Trump and his uh, travel ban and the chaos that it caused. This is, uh, this is becoming a signature of Trump, the not really letting the relevant authorities know what he's about to do before he does it kind of thing. He's a madman. I know, but he's the most powerful madman. He can do that. A bit scary then? No, I feel safer with him than I would with Hillary Clinton. I'd rather someone... I'd, I don't know. I don't know why. He likes children in a, in a good way, not like a Michael Jackson way. He seems like a genuinely caring man, even if it's misguided and a bit xenophobic, <laughs> like most people. I, I, I think, I think we, we swerved, swerved a bullet getting him instead of Hillary, honestly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about Trump and Russia connections because it's like, it's, you've beaten the dead horse so much that there's no dead horse there anymore. The rotting carcass has just been beaten into a pulp. And it's like, look, there's still no smoking gun. I think Donald Trump might one day get impeached, but it's going to have nothing to do with Russia. Yeah. Tom, it's it's a twentieth century dialectic. Like when we were kids, like every TV show we watched, all the baddies were Russians. Yeah, because the Cold War. Do you remember Airwolf? Every week, week he'd find some yeah, Russians Russian to love. spies. Everything. It's the past, but what America and Russia being friends, doing deals together? Why is that a bad thing? <laughs> If it were Obama doing, like, you know, cozying up to Putin, yeah. it would be spun in a positive way. Yeah. It's not so much Trump and Russia, it's the fact he kind of has this fawning respect for despots and dictators. Strong men. The strong man, yeah. Like, he invited, again, without telling anybody, without telling the relevant authorities, yeah. and embassies and what have you, the state apparatchiks, that he invited uh, the Philippine, the Philippines madman. What's his name? Rodrigo Duete. Duete. Currently murdering team, people. No, currently fighting a, a drug war. Islamic insurgents in a in a city down there. That's been there's like two hundred yeah. ISIS troops in there. Honestly, we're well, not no, seeing him. He'll just slaughter them. He won't have but, any qualms about cutting yeah. their throats. But he he respects strong men and those all those despots, those sort of guys, because they've got they've got to the top and. And Trump would believe the cream rises to know, the top. The best guys get. It's there. like it's like the deadliest fighters. You know. They're going to fight. They might hate each other or dislike each other, but there'll still be that respect there. I think the fear is that old Putin will just tell Trump what to do. And it's like, that doesn't sound like Trump to me. But another big promise Trump made 
but he said he was going to get done within his first 100 days. The repeal of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Trump fucked this one up royally. He basically, like, um, when Obama came in with ideas of reforming American healthcare system, he was aware this is going to take a long time. It's going to take more than 100 days. Gonna, it's going to take me a year, maybe two years. It's going to cost some people a lot of money in their homes. He lied. Trump, by comparison, figured he could reform American healthcare within about two or three weeks. Originally, Trump was just going to repeal it. Mm-hmm. And I think, I assume, they were just going to go back to the old system, whatever came before Obamacare. But then people started in the media and what have you started asking questions. What's going to, well, you can repeal it, but what do you replace it with? And I think Trump panicked and kind of balked at this question and just went, all right, Paul Ryan, come here, you, Speaker of the House, you take this ticking time bomb, mm-hmm. go write up something that to replace Obamacare with and get support for it amongst all the Republicans. Yeah. Like, which is really Trump's, that's his job, yeah. to get support, to get the votes for it, for, uh, for it to pass through Congress. Yeah. That's his job, and he gave it to Paul Ryan. Uh-huh. And he only gave him about two weeks to do it as well. Ridiculous. And so he ends up causing this massive schism where like Republicans were like, listen, you're telling us to go to the American public with, oh, Obamacare sucks. Here's something that resembles Obamacare. This is what we're offering you. And so yeah, Trump fucked that one up. It didn't even get into Congress for a vote. Yeah. They didn't even vote on it. And it's like, Trump just doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. But I trust, I trust him to get good people around him who do. I think and he's taking got, risks. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I agree. That's you probably know, not a bad quality to to not be that risk averse. You can't fuck up too much. How long does he have? What is it? Four years? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what I was saying the last time. If if what's the worst thing that could happen if we got a totalitarian Tory government? Problem in America is it's who do you put up against Trump? But we'll come to that. But one last thing about what did Trump say he was going to do in his first hundred days? Did he say he would destroy ISIS within 30 days? <laughs> no, he didn't. He said something close to that. I'd remember that. I'd be counting it on the calendar if, if he'd actually <laughs> given a deadline. So I'd, been in, I'd be expecting some like mechanised laser eagle attack. You're right. He didn't say he would destroy ISIS within 30 days. He said he would come up with a plan to destroy ISIS within 30 days. Yeah. And I think that, that still I think his that plan hasn't is, I think his plan is kill them all. Just bomb the shit out of them. Just kill them all. He has been good. Yeah, the, <laughs> the bombing campaign against ISIS in Iraq is still pretty much going on. Yeah. Ongoing. Keep the war machine rolling. So we've both been kind of alluding to, uh, well, you said something a second ago about Trump getting the right people around him. And uh, this is what Trump said about forming his administration, the transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. Today, I would like to provide the American people with an update on the White House transition and our policy plans for the first 100 days. Our transition team is working very smoothly, efficiently, and effectively. Truly great and talented men and women, patriots indeed, are being brought in, and many will soon be a part of our government, helping us to make America great again. Now, what Trump just said there is absolute bollocks. Okay, who who has he got in then? This is the problem. There's 500 key federal government positions that right. Donald Trump has not filled yet. I mean, it doesn't even look like he wants to fill those positions. And this is why Trump's having a lot of difficulty, even though he's the Republican president. It's a Republican Congress, Republican Senate, Republican Supreme Court. He still can't get anything done because there's 500 <laughs> government jobs that he hasn't filled yet. In a way, it's, it's quite clever, isn't it? It's like consolidating power. <laughs> he'll say like it's been he'll say like well it's been 150 days now 
No one's done this job. I've been doing this fucking job for him. Why do we need someone? I'm saving you guys money. It's 500 jobs, man. He's saving them a fortune. Is this Trump's version of draining the swamp, just not filling all the positions in government? Maybe. Maybe. Well, it's going to backfire for him, right? Because Trump promised a lot of quite necessary infrastructure projects, totaling something like one and a half trillion dollars. Yeah. Well, without these positions being filled, it's unlikely he's going to get that through Congress. What was infrastructure, though? It's like buildings, Dams, highways, buildings, bridges. Yeah. Yeah, he's got Electrical like, grid. He's got construction teams. He's just making... Yeah, he's not going to pay a no. <laughs> he's probably and Mexico's not going to pay. The government will pay his construction teams to do it. Everything will like have Trump logos on. How do you feel about... Um, a lot of Trump's administration seems to be made up of one or two types of people, either a general or a former employee of Goldman Sachs. How do you feel, given Trump's platform was, you know, anti-establishment, the outsider? Apparently the, the military in America are a lot happier with Trump because he's, he's given the generals a lot more autonomy. Yeah, uh, a lot um, of deference, yeah. Probably a good thing to have the military on your side if, in case of a coup. <laughs> um, in case the CIA want to kill you. Keep down, to keep down the population, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the rabble when they start marching up the, the lawn of the White House. So we've talked a lot of Trump failures. Yeah. Let's be let's be objective. Let's be fair. Trump positives. Trump successes. He got Neil uh, Gorish, Gorick, whoever you pronounce it. He got him on the Supreme Court, which is a big deal if you're a Republican. Well, it's a big deal if you're a Democrat as well. It's a big thing constitutionally in the States, especially because it's like an almost for life type sort of role. Yeah, until you die. Yeah, so... Um, of course, it's usually uh, split five to four. Even in favour of like Democrats, oh, progressives, or Republicans and conservatives, yeah. and now thanks to Trump, it's going to be a Republican conservative leaning Supreme Court probably for the next twenty twenty five years. Good news if you're a Republican, conservative, mm. not so much if you're pro Hillary. Bad news if you want to go into a girl's bathroom <laughs> dressed as a woman. <laughs> right, Trump's second success: he kept his promise of pulling America out of the uh, Trans Pacific Partnership trade deal agreement. Mm. Did he pull you out? You were happy about that, were you? Yes, but it's 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 a well known tradition that that pulling out is isn't a guaranteed method <laughs> of uh, of future outcomes. He, he'll just make a new deal. It's the one thing where you do actually know where Trump stands. He's not pro trading blocks. He's pro free trade. I would say for the most part, as long as it's good for America, basically. Yeah, but. He wants America dealing with this country, America dealing with that country. He wants bilateral trade agreements. And, and, and to be honest, if you're at the top, if you're, if you're the number one, obviously there's China's coming up fast, mm. but they might sort of shoot themselves in the foot. They, they need a sort of true democratic revolution. Japan are uh, a bit worried now. Yeah. Because um, the benefit of this agreement is that it would have put Japan and China on a more level playing field in terms of economic power. Yeah. Now China might possibly just completely dominate the region mm. and just bully boy Japan. Yeah. But interestingly, J Japan has been increasing its military sort of surreptitiously. It's not been really meant to have. It's only meant yeah. to have defense force, but they've been investing a lot more in it and stuff. But yeah, I think Japan would probably like I said, right to be But like right, I said, when, from Trump's perspective and from any sort of business person's perspective, why do you need to be in a block with all its rules and regulations and constraints? When you're the number one player. China's coming up. I know. One, when you're number one and number two, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So like, because you've, you've got this huge, massive country. You've got huge amounts of natural resources. Continent sized. Exactly. You know, 
you are pretty much self-sufficient if you if you if worse came to worse you could build a wall around your whole fucking country and keep going so like i say he he doesn't the he, french could just let so refugees he, he doesn't need blocks and like you say he can just do this like as it comes deal by deal situation which That's is a lot more wants. serious it's more flex it's, it's sensible because it's more flexible in, in a world where things change quickly geopolitically it's useful to be able to do stuff on the the fast a pro dictatorship argument there in line with what you said about we should maybe give the Tories yeah, a go. Yeah, but what people forget is like in four years' time, they can vote for someone else. Something I would imagine most Trump supporters would be happy that Trump has done. Significant increase in the number of deportations of illegal immigrants. Problem I would say, though, is uh, Trump's done this rather callously. Uh, the, the most callous reflection of that I saw was um, a group of ICE agents were in a restaurant and they sat down in this, like, cafe or something. Oh, hi, I spoke to the waitress and stuff. Ordered a meal, ate the meal, enjoyed it, and then at the end of the no. meal, got up and fucking, like, arrested no. half the place. The kitchen. <laughs> yeah, honestly, they're all gone. That's, that's cold. Because <laughs> Obama deported a lot of people, but he, only, he made sure he was only deporting actual, like, viol- mostly violent criminals, things like that, and drug dealers, whereas Trump is just going after anyone who's there illegally. Illegally, criminal. Including kids. Criminal. Criminal children. Yeah, but you know what I mean, though. Like, <laughs> people that don't really... Po- they're not a menace to society in any way. They're not drug runners, gun runners, nothing like that. Bit callous. Breaking up the families. Collateral damage. Okay, it's bad. But it's the parents a bit bastards as well, isn't it? You know, maybe if... The, how, old, how old does the kid... If the kid's born there, can he... Oh, there? if you're born there, yeah, you're an American citizen. Well, that's fair. And, you know, so But there. that's what he's doing. He's deporting parents and leaving the kids behind. Well... If you're a parent, if you go to, go to the country, it's like you've got to be honest person. Yeah. That could be the moral of the story: is Isn't yeah, that? come legally, and you won't. This yeah. won't happen. But that's that's really pre- harsh. Pre- One arguable positive of Trump being a bit more callous: illegal border crossing has gone down significantly, about thirty six percent decrease in number of people crossing the border illegally. Arguably a success for Trump, a good thing. Yeah, good Trump versus bad Trump. The American economy. There haven't been any significant roller coaster plunges going up yeah dow jones is pretty much uh, all-time high nasdaq and all that yeah i'm I'm throwing out words like i know what they mean yeah a good thing not if you're poor if you're poor you're still fucking poor you might get a job because i i didn't know that america's corporate tax rate is 30 something percent like 36 37 Uh whereas i think the average in the developed world is more about 25 26 You you might get a job but trump's approval ratings the lowest of any newly elected president Normally, a president, Trump should really be in a honeymoon phase where mm. people are highly forgiving. Yeah. Let's give the guy a chance. No, his approval rating is basically hovering around 33, 35%. Abysmal. Do you think some of that is just people who hate him? And do you think some of that is some of his supporters who are disappointed that he hasn't been able to deport everyone? <laughs> He's never going to be able to appease the people who hate him just because of who never he is and what he is. And he's also never going to be able to appease the more extreme of his fans who took him on as some figurehead for their revolution. You know, talking all right here. Yeah, the frog people. Uh, Trump has pretty much been at war with the US media since he came in. Yeah. Do you think he's right to keep attacking the media the way he does, constantly accusing them of lying and being fake news? Where do you hear the stories of him attacking the media? Of course, in the the media. media, media. Yeah. People don't really talk to each other about the media. They just absorb the media. But now we absorb the media in a much different way. You know, the internet and stuff. Like it's all the time. Whether it has actually real effect on your life and the way you 
learn about the world <laughs> through media, it won't change it at all, to be honest. Because most people are very untrustful of the mass media, NBC, BBC, aren't they? The, yeah, the average the big, person, the just, big the average person is pretty switched on now and is like, oh yeah, a lot of it is shit. It's it, Trump speaking the truth, basically. He's, he's not at war with the sort of alternative websites that you might look at to get your news or just the fucking Twitter feed that you see headlines pop up and occurrences pop up on and articles well, that your friends share. That's something Trump's got to stop doing the Twitter. He's got to drop Twitter. I love it. It's, I think it's good. It's just he's walking, he's goose-stepping into an embarrassing and PR disaster. He's, he's gone over the, the precipice of embarrassing and PR disasters years ago. The Twitter sphere is like the is like newspaper and fish and chip shops now, isn't it? It's like in less than Here a day. gone tomorrow. Less than a day. But by adopting such an openly adversarial stance against Donald Trump, initially this went against the media and like actually made Trump look sympathetic. But now that it keeps dragging on and on, it's actually starting to benefit the mass media more than Donald Trump. They're starting to look like they're the opposition. Like the Democrats are kind of just a bit of, they're they're kind of nothing at the moment. And now it's the media that actually looks like the government opposition. Mm. Like Saturday Night Live, they've they've basically been pretty much saved by being anti-Trump. Yeah, yeah. Their ratings were going down into the mm. toilet, and now they're back up mm. again. Here's someone who doesn't know what they're doing. He's got a lot of power. But yeah, we're sort of sympathetic to him because um, he makes us laugh. He was a lot of fun. When he was sniping the Republican Golden Boys like to win the actual uh, candidacy for the Republicans, he was a lot of fun. Yeah. Everyone loved him, Yeah, especially in the media. And the media is kind of... A, they're a bit addicted to Donald Trump, I think. He's, he's real sweet sugar for the media. Like generates a lot of headlines, mm. a lot of click ads, you know. Mm. Recently, Donald Trump, and this, uh, he pissed Angel- Angela Merkel off this past week. She really wanted him to sign up to the Paris Climate Change Accord, and Trump's basically being completely non-committal. Uh, maybe I will, maybe I won't, you know. It, it depends on how much it affects America, because I'm putting America first. Are you worried at all about the environment when it comes to Donald Trump? No, because I probably have a similar school of thought to him. Bucket. No, wind. You can't do it all. No, yeah, exactly. You could shut down your country's carbon production completely, have completely clean energy, but it won't stop, like, some cunt in their coal-fired power station in China that's opening up every two weeks. If, if if, if, If you have a limited amount of time and you don't want to, like, blast loads of money on something you think it's going to be a waste, you wouldn't put it into the green projects because until the whole world and the the growing economies like india and china until they get on board whatever you do is is pointless trump though he clearly does not give a shit about environmental concerns whatever global whatsoever. level no i think on any level i don't think he cares i think he's one of those get rid of the epa types probably like there's probably will be some streets soon where you can only have hydrogen driven buses or stuff and the air will be clean yeah that's on a local level a national level that's a good thing you can do don't do like huge international things where you've got to pledge thousands of dollars and pay carbon taxes to other countries to stop them from being naughty with their pollution. So Trump is a simpleton. I think that's beyond <laughs> doubt. The whole stupid thing is for just, it's just, it's, it's like an act. Anyway, we're going to be simple in light of the fact that Donald Trump's a bit simple. Let's rate Donald Trump's presidency so far out of 10. Okay, I'm going to say 10 out of 10 for entertainment value. <laughs> okay. And 6 out of 10 for deliverance because like i say he's, he's only got about half of power in that country because obviously the whole apparatus over there doesn't like him doesn't want him so whose fault is that though it's just the way history's worked out 
military industrial <laughs> complex. You know, just where, the way the cookie crumbled. Yeah, I'm going to give Donald Trump three out of ten. Two out of ten being the fact that he got the Republican judge appointed to the Supreme Court, which I think was like kind of like that was the one thing you you would have thought Donald Trump wouldn't have got done. Everything else, like the other one, the fact that I think he's kind of trying. He's just completely inept and he doesn't know, he has no understanding of what's actually involved. And we know that because he's got these 500 federal government positions completely unfilled. I've said I'd prefer him to be president than Hillary Clinton. Why? Just for the fact I think he's a better person, okay? Better would be better at the job. She hasn't delivered in a long, long time. What about you, though? Who, 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 now, just how do you feel with him as your president, even though you didn't vote for him? He's still the most powerful man in the world. How do you feel with that character? Does it bother you? Really? Does it bother you? All I can do is be really sardonic when it comes to Donald Trump and just go, okay, look, if you ever wanted to know the answer to the question of what would happen if you put a complete ignoramus in the White House who was completely a fish out of water, completely out of their element, what would happen? Well, we kind of know now. It's, it's a mixture of chaos, confusion, embarrassment, alternative facts. And <laughs> do you know what I mean, it's just, it's insane. Yeah, he's not a politician at all, is he? Hillary would have maybe at the very least been status quo to some extent, other than she would have been a, I think, a real I think, obnoxious I cunt. think what's, what's going to happen is it's probably going to take more than 100 days. It's probably going to take a year to get, sounds... in, to get in the right people in the right jobs. Because, Tom, Why did it take so long? It's, it's not a fact that he's got to change to fit in with all his administration. It's more like the administration's going to have to change to fit in with him. The thing with Trump, do you think Trump's actually going to make it to 2020? Do you think he'll get impeached before then? Maybe just walk away from it before then? It's too hard. I can't be bothered. He hasn't said, has he, he'd do two terms? I think he's already, uh, he's trademarked keeping America great, right. something like that okay. for a 2020 run. Oh, interesting. But, um, he's hedged his bets. There's people trying to impeach him as we speak. His senator stood up and called for it, didn't he? Yeah, some Democrat guy. He obviously is going to be opposed to every step of, of the way because he isn't a he isn't part of the team when he came in. He wasn't meant to be president, was he? And there's still Obama people there. But they're going. And I think Comey was the first. Maybe he was like the, the plug of, of the well, swamp. Well, Comey, Comey fucked Hillary, so Trump liked him. And yeah. then he basically, like, he was kind of investigating Trump, so Trump got rid of him. Comey, Comey was hedging his bets because he, he probably sensed that Trump was good win, so he wanted to do, do good by Trump. Yeah, look good in, but, in his eye. If Trump does get impeached, I don't think it's going to have any. It's not going to have anything to do with Russia. Mm. It will be more that he overreaches in terms of what he can actually do as president. He'll, he'll end up doing something unconstitutional, and then he'll go. If Donald Trump doesn't get impeached, I think he only has one path to victory in 2020, and that's if the Democrats and I think they might do this. I think they might run Hillary again, or maybe, maybe Chelsea Clinton. Oh my God! Yeah, if they run another Clinton. Yeah. Do you think the Democrats are stupid enough to run Hillary again? I think it's more a case of how much power Hillary has behind her. If she wants to run again, can she pull it off? Because ultimately, you know, you've got to want it. You've got to want to do it. It's like I was talking about, it's tough at the top. You've got to be one of these top, top people. She's got to put herself forwards. She thinks she's tough. Yeah. Yes, I think she would. I think she's dumb enough. I think the Democrats are dumb enough. And I think that's pretty much Trump's only path to victory in 2020. What about Sanders? I reckon Sanders could He's win. too old. I'm still going to be a broken record on this. There's still potential silver lining of a Trump presidency, if you're anti-Republican, that is. He still might tear apart the Republican Party. Between now and 2020, he might just completely rip it to shreds. Why not? America has <laughs> been like, you know, a one-party state. You know, there's the famous cartoon of the Republican and Democrats, the two, like, you know, feet on oh. the same body. But 
It's good to have change, isn't it? It's like I say, it's like shaking things up, changing things. That's what he represents. Speaking of being out of your element and lacking relevant experience, I recently did my civic duty of doing jury service. Thankfully, we have both done jury service, so we can speak about this. You did it more recently than me, though. I did mine, like, five, six years ago, maybe seven years ago. How long ago did you do yours? Well, this is the thing. Should I really be doing this? Because it's I'm ba- I've done the, I'm one week in of my two week obligation. Yeah. So I obviously we're no one knows avoid... your no one knows your surname. Yeah, that's true. But obviously you're not going to talk about the case for legal reasons. We're going to avoid specifics about the actual trials that we are a part of. Yeah. So the story begins when you receive a brown envelope with a pink letter inside it. Your official jury summons arrive at this court on this date which will be about five to six weeks from now at this time, or else you'll be fined a thousand pounds. How did you react when you got your jury summons, Tim? Um, well, at first I, I don't normally get many sort of pink letters, so I didn't know what it was. I was a bit nervous just opening the actual envelope. When I first saw the sort of court paperwork, I thought, what have I done? <laughs> what did I do? What was it Racking your brain. Yeah, yeah you know, no, that, I saw I was invited to do it. And, from that point on, I was, I was well up for it. I was quite interested. No apprehension whatsoever? You didn't try and think of like, oh God, how do I get out I of this? I didn't have anything else to do at the moment. I think I was unemployed. When I got the letter, basically I freaked out. I panicked. I was trying to think, oh God, like, oh yeah, you can defer, can't you? you I'll like, try and come up with an excuse for like why I should defer. And then after about two weeks, I just realized, actually, do you know what? It's a civic duty. I'm a social contract kind of guy. I should really do it. Problem is, and this is my first piece of advice to anyone who receives a jury summons, you get like a return, a reply form that you have to send back to whoever. I didn't do that until about a week and a half out from the uh, the date that was due to arrive at the court. And what that meant was, is I didn't get the second letter that comes with the loss of earnings claim form. Mm-hmm. The good news is you can make claims kind of retroactively. You've got like up to three months you can pick up the form when you get to the court. Yeah. My advice is just reply as soon as possible. I think the most I had to claim was my bus fare. Yeah, I'm doing that. I'm getting the pound fifty each way. One thing that I found kind of odd during jury service, I presumed there was going to be a dress code of some kind at the very, very minimum smart casual wear. Yeah. It was nothing like that at all. There was, there was a guy that came in with like jogging bottoms, ripped up trainers. Yeah. And a, like 15 year old t-shirt I, su- I suppose that is is one way of self-excluding yourself no one they won't pick you well it's done completely at random anyway they don't really give a shit what you look like i thought about that i thought about coming in with a t-shirt where it's like guilty printed on the front <laughs> and like not guilty on the back I don't know, like, <laughs> apparently there is absolutely no dress code whatsoever okay and don't go into it thinking if i look a bit trampish they won't pick me for the jury they will it's just they go they pick your name at random i went i went in a suit on day one. On day one. And pretty much for the rest of it. I took my tie off <laughs> on the second day. <laughs> it, in, in a few instances in life, you go into situations where you're going to be with a group of people for a short amount of time and you don't know each other. You've never met. you never met. And you're not going to know each other after that situation <laughs> where ignorance is mutual, confidence is king. And you can go into a place and actually be someone else <laughs> than your normal self and they'll just take that as you. I mean, on my first day, the first thing that was uh, that I noticed, I was taken aback by, yeah. was just how diverse like Britain really is. 
It's a cornucopia of hundreds and thousands of multicolored sprinkles. But there's even diversity in terms of like, you could have two people of the same ethnic background, but they would be, one would be middle class, one would be working class. Mm -hmm. Like you'd get that variance as well. Mm -hmm. All ages as well. 18 Mm. to 80, is it? Or 18 to something fucking old. So the first thing that happens, you go through the security check. Everyone goes through the same entrance. Mm -hmm. Jurors, witnesses, barristers, the accused. And there's a little bit like an, an induction video where they basically tell you, they politely request, oh, by the way, if you do see someone from your trial, try and avoid talking to them, maybe maybe go around the corner to have your fag. You know? And of course, don't, don't do any social media. Don't, don't, don't Google yeah, the don't accused. Google, yeah. uh, you go through a surprisingly lax security check. It's not quite airport security theatre. It's mm-hmm. a bit similar. You, you get a little red box, you empty your pockets. Mm-hmm. You go through a metal detector, the metal detector goes off, but they don't give a shit anyway. They just go, ah, it's probably just your watch or a chewing gum packet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They do give you a quick scan, you know, the old wand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're in. I know. I, I just always put my sword down the straight of my spine. <laughs> but you kind of, you just amass in the entrance foyer bit. And when, when there's about 20, 25 jurors there who've all arrived, fresh faced, you go up into what's called the jury lounge. And if you're really unlucky, <laughs> The jury lounge is where you're going to be spending most of your time. A, a, a lounge sounds nice, but this isn't a lounge. This is more like a waiting room at a GP, isn't it? It's exactly like hospital waiting room. Because even though you've been summoned for jury service, there is a chance that you might not actually sit on a jury during your two-week jury mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like people are picked at random. So when a trial comes up in one of the courts, meaning the judge is ready to begin proceedings, 18 potential jurors are randomly selected from a pool of about 30 or 40 jurors that show up on that first Monday. And then those 18 jurors follow a court usher. He's basically just a guy in a black robe. He's not really anyone that important. And they take you straight up into the courtroom. The judge is right there. The defendant's sitting behind a piece of glass. Everyone, the barristers are looking at you. People in the public gallery are staring at you. Mm. I mean, technically, right, you could show up on the Monday morning at 9 a.m., do your induction at quarter past nine, and then within an hour of being there, be sitting in a jury, being sworn in by 10 a.m. That happened to some of the people yeah. that, that I arrived with. They're the lucky ones. <laughs> it's nerve-wracking. Right? But it's better than spending fucking four or five hours sitting in a waiting room, surrounded by great unwashed. You're not allowed to go anywhere or do anything. It's just... I wanted a bit of a breather. I know, but think about jury service. Like you say, you're going to plunge yourself into it. You're completely out of your element. Yeah. For me, it reminded me of being at school, in a way, because you're, you're, you're back in the system. And for most people, you're not back in the system in, in your adult life, unless you do jury service. And you're sort of, there's all these rules and regulations to stay there and sit there and shut Yeah, up. you don't really have freedom. No. But anyway, it's amazingly nerve-wracking going straight into the courtroom. Standing there right next to the jury box, looking at the judge, and uh, they call out, they say they announced that there's 18 of you. We're going to whittle you down to 12. And then they start calling out names of witnesses, the alleged victim, the accused, just to see, do you have any connection, personal connection to anybody involved in the trial? Because if you do, obviously you're disqualified. Turns out I haven't got any connection to anyone in this trial. And that one by one, the jury seats are filling up as they're calling out names. I'm nervous as hell for the first few mm. seats getting filled, filled up. Mm. You feel the scrutiny of the... Uh, accused, don't you? They do check. They do eye you up and down, don't you? They they try to look at you. No, yeah, I'm they talking... study you. Yeah, yeah. But as the as we got about halfway, so six of the twelve seats were filled. 
I started getting a little bit angry. Like, kind of, are oh, you, you motherfucker? You're going to call my name out, aren't you? I know you're going to call my name out. I really don't want to do it. No, I'd rather do it day two. You're going to fuck me, aren't you? And then you're down to like three seats left. Oh, come on. Come on. Yeah, just say it. Just say my fucking name. Do you know what I mean? And then all the last three seats were filled. I didn't get picked. I was the opposite. I was like, pick me. Pick me. <laughs> well, by the end, I was like, say my fucking name. And it was down to the last final seat. But anyway, didn't get picked. So I'm back to the jury lounge. My advice is um, accept the fact that there's a chance you might not get called for any trial and bring a big book with you. So you got picked within a couple of hours of day one to go sit on the jury. Yeah. So, okay, you might not have noticed what I noticed in, on day one, the way that clicks form very quickly. Okay, that's interesting. It's like everyone shows up. They don't, the chances are you're not going to know anybody there. Yeah. It's not going to be someone you worked with years ago there or anything like that. And you're all forced to stay in this enclosed area. Mm. So it's like a sort of David Attenborough possibility there. You're just well, I might get a little bit David Attenborough at the moment right now. Because I noticed, this is obviously like day one before anyone's been picked for a trial. The first cliques that form are the Gujarati and the Punjabi speakers. Like they find each other real quick and they form into a little group real quickly. But likewise, any young ethnic minority women, they'll quickly form a clique of their own. And uh, inadvertently, they will ostracize the young white women there. <laughs> oh, interesting. They get left out in the cold a little bit. They're kind of left to form a bond with a pleasant, safe-looking, middle-aged white woman. That's who they strike up a conversation with on day one in the jury lounge. Working-class men, they tend to bond pretty quickly. Like, irrespective of ethnicity, religious belief. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. conversation will resolve around football 90% of the time. Mm. I, I did see sort of clicks clicks forming, but unfortunately, I'm, I think people, before I speak, I think people find me quite unapproachable, and <laughs> I was sort of sitting by myself. Bit of a hard nut. You know, and obviously as soon as I opened my mouth, like, who the fuck's this idiot? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I was pretty much, yeah, I didn't really mix with anyone. But white middle-class men and women that show up for jury service tend to be introverted and tend to arrive with a, an intention to read a really long book and to not really strike up conversations with anyone. That was kind of the tact I took. Show up with a book that I wanted to read, that I wanted to get through over the next 10, 14 days. Because middle-class men will refrain pretty much from striking up conversations. If they do have a conversation with someone, it'll be very brief, one-word answers, and then I'm back to my book. Middle-class women, on the other hand, anytime you've got middle-class women together in each other's presence, they can't help but talk to each other. No matter how much they really wanted to read that book, they're going to start natting away. Mm-hmm. You got picked day one. Yes. I got picked day two quite early on in the morning, thankfully. Because you, yeah, it's when you're just sat in the jury lounge, it is hospital waiting room atmosphere. And yeah, I don't know if actually I could have taken I'm glad I got a whole day of not getting picked to sit on a jury. But yeah, by the second day. Thank God. Yeah, I wanted to get on with the trial, no matter what it was. Yeah. But yeah, very nerve wracking. Your name gets called out and you go to sit in the jury box and you know you've got to do the swearing of the oath. There is this sort of feeling that if you sort of fucked up or did something wrong, you can get sort of instantly sent to prison. <laughs> you know? There'd be real, real repercussions. Yeah, yeah. You're in, you, you know, it's a high stakes game. and they do, Serious business. They do stress that to you, that, you know, that you are dealing with someone's uh, future well, position and captivity. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah... It's made clear to you, this is a real trial. This isn't like <laughs> TV bullshit, you know? But the good thing is the court ushers, they pretty much ensure you can't really do anything outrageously wrong. 
you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't fuck it up, basically. You were saying you were given the whole David Attenborough thing, and the whole reason you can do is because they do get one thing right, and you, it is a huge, massively diverse mix of people, isn't it? Mm, yeah. You know, all ages. That's what I was really impressed. And even when it came to the selection of the jury, because there's the bit where you go up into the court, like you say, and they tell six people to fuck off <laughs> before anything even happens. Yeah. I was like, God, how would that feel? You know what I mean? I was relieved. When you are swearing in and, you know, you get like your chosen holy book if you want, or you do the atheist yeah. affirmation thing. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't help but laugh. It was like everyone, it was kind of universal that everyone was in the same boat about how fucking scared we are right now. When people were reading out their own for their affirmation, like their voices were really crackly. Like some people were just trying to rush through it really quickly. They just wanted it over with. Even though it's serious business, being in a courtroom in a jury is kind of inherently funny. Yeah. Well, if you're in the jury, it's, yeah, you can find yeah, humor in it. Yeah, if you're like the standing there, like, oh my God. Behind the glass. Why is that guy in the jury glaring at me and frothing at the mouth? <laughs> the judges judges god they're, bless them they're kind of all the same aren't they the upper middle class yeah but they're obviously the like the alpha male of that whole building mm. everyone like bows down to them you know the first one the one that i didn't get picked for it seemed really cool she uh, was a woman oh upper middle class woman but yeah. She, yeah the next one the second one was uh upper middle class man yeah but they've all got this they've all got the same softly spoken measured very methodical slow I'm talking to uh, fucking idiots. <laughs> and, uh, a very, a very apologetic tone about the imposition that we have put upon you over the next two weeks. We're very thankful. Mm. And it's like, do you think they all talk like that? In my experience, yes. Oh, you've been in a courtroom a number of times. No, like I said, <laughs> I did uh, jury service. So I... You did too? Yeah. That's Were enough. they both like that? Yeah. Both seem really cool, switched on. I mean, I kind of got it halfway through. I kind of understood why the judge is like that. The judge has to kind of maintain a certain level of respect and pleasantries, decorum, for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. For themselves, for the jury, for the two barristers. Like, nobody can afford to lose face in the courtroom. Even the defendant can't even really. Mm -hmm. And that's why the judge has to make sure everyone is super chill at all times. Because like I said, Tom, you, or like you said, you, you, you said you felt the fear just from the actual occasion. I, I actually felt the fear later from the actual experience and what it taught me was like they, they gave us some sheets of A4 paper and like a, a unlined and like a pencil or something that you can write with. Yeah, and really crude uh, kind of material. I was, I was making notes, but there, there were, I noticed quite a couple of people just didn't make any notes at all. I didn't. And they would. Yeah, I know. I felt a little bit by the end. I was kind How of like, I should remember. There's, there's so much information but, coming towards yeah, know, you, but you can only re you can only write it in the courtroom. You can only read it in the courtroom. Anyway, what but, I find with the jury, your other jury members though, is, is that one will remember this bit, one will remember another bit, and then when you come together to deliberate your law, okay. it'll be a full picture. Yeah, that, that's the thing. But the thing that made me scared though was, like I said, there were people who weren't making any notes, <laughs> like you, and there were other people on the jury. Some people are just stupid. Some people are just disinterested. Mm, Some people yeah. couldn't give a fuck. Yeah. Some people are prejudiced before they even set foot in a courtroom. Had their mind made up already. But it doesn't matter. And the, the fascinating thing I found was despite all the artifice of the, the courtroom and the jar comes down to like a, just a bunch of people sitting around a table. Bunch of randoms. Yeah, who don't know each other, just, just hashing it out. And yeah. sometimes there'll be people in that situation who 
want to sort of put their foot down and be the boss dominant and that in reality that can actually sway the outcome yeah. of a case yeah, totally. and it shouldn't happen but it happens every day up and down the country bit of a flawed system it's the only it's a it's the, it's the only system it's a good system um there's another it seems like a very that's the thing like i said away from all the artifice it actually feels like a very natural ancient sort of thing doesn't it as part of being like in a community of people it's like a very yeah. peaceful way of deciding things because civilized the, yeah because the yeah because the jury has no connection to the people mm. in the case it's, it's like, as it's as objective it's yeah, yeah as possible yeah one thing when you were sat in the jury box did you were you like me uh i was never quite sure where i should be looking where i was allowed to look like day day one i didn't look at the defendant i didn't want to make eye contact with the yeah, defendant yeah I, there is that but the interesting thing is you you feel the defendant looking at you the oh. barristers look at you more than the defendant okay. does they look at, they'll say something and then they'll look at you to see like or maybe, okay did that land did that yeah, have yeah, impact yeah. but then you actually, you make eye contact with them and then it's kind of awkward there's also the ones that i find interesting are the security guards in the background because they just stand Sometimes there. Sometimes they just stare at everyone in the courtroom. Yeah, but it must be fascinating because they must have like such interesting... Because they don't really have to do much apart from like... They hear a lot of crazy escort, shit, I'm sure. Escort cunts, but they must have like yeah. interesting days just listening to stories but not having the responsibility. Yeah, 90% you know I mean? of the time the defendant isn't going to kick off. Hearing all these secrets. But one thing I did realise being in the courtroom, just how important it is to have a common language, like an official language. And I would say to a certain extent, shared cultural values as well. As I said at the beginning, day one, you get you get these cliques that form that are largely along ethnic lines. By day three, four, most of the jurors have been assigned to a, a trial. So they're in a sitting jury of 12, 11 other people. Mm. Once you're at that stage, those day one cliques evaporate. And yeah. then the only people you really talk to are the members of your jury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You become the new clique. Yeah. Of course, we didn't get the full jury experience, though, because some people on juries get to, like, they get put up at a hotel, don't they? That's if it goes on a really long time. But if it's, it's a like, high-profile yeah, place. Yeah, I bet they put you in a nice hotel as well. That That's nightmare scenario it, for me. Well, I was unemployed. Like I say, it would have been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This happened quite a lot, I found, was some legal issue would arise in the trial, and it's kind of you, you go into the courtroom... The judge tells you, oh, by the way, um, we've, we've called you up here, but there is actually uh, an issue of legality. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to go back to the jurors lounge, maybe hopefully for only about 15, 20 minutes. But the smokers amongst you might appreciate having a cigarette break. Do you know what I mean? They're really apologetic and kind, nice and pleasant about it. Yeah. yeah. It happened. There was one day where that happened like a few times for me and it was frustrating. I think in the, in, in, the, in the space between the two cases, I must have gone out once or twice, but not very long. We mentioned the court usher. The court usher is the person that brings you from the jury lounge to the courtroom back and forth. Yeah. You develop a real emotional attachment to the court usher, almost like a kind of paternalistic relationship. Like they're your parent looking after you, guiding you through <laughs> this really weird experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the third day of the trial, we're sitting in the jury lounge... And then you notice your usher come in and like you you suddenly you perk up, there's big smiles in your face. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> was that like that for you? No, no. No emotional attachment at all to you? Not really. It was all quite, quite serious. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like akin to when your mum and dad show up to pick you up from like after school <laughs> activities. But there was that feeling of release when you went home at the end of the day, like when you go get let off school. 
Yeah, especially it's, if you let out like, early. It's literally like being at school. Yeah, or... it is. It's a very infantilizing experience. You kind of want to be, uh, what's the word, mollycoddled? You kind of want to be taken care of. You are genuinely afraid that you might fuck something up. Yeah, and just immediately get sent down, taken downstairs. You get a thousand pound fine. Or just held in contempt. Yeah. Accidentally. But um, I would say, if you do get your jury summons, don't panic, don't freak out. Do your civic duty. Relish it. Don't worry, you can't fuck it up. You know, it's like a life experience. It's an interesting thing to do. And to be able to say you've done, even though you can't really talk about it in detail. Again, not going into details. My my, my case wasn't like some horrendous mass butchery on an industrial stale, horrible things. I can imagine if you had to do a case like that, which involved harrowing evidence, where you had to watch videos of shit or be see pictures. That That is something else. And you only get bus fare for that. <laughs> 150 each <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was the Tom Dick Not Iman show. Tim, thank you very much for joining me and sharing your experience. Thank you. Hopefully, but it's the one, one, one thing I'd like to leave on is like when you do do jury service, it makes you not want to be in front of a jury, even if you were a hundred percent innocent, because you, you realise how random and arbitrary it really is, and it just comes down to the opinions and moods. You know, you're being judged by people who aren't as good as you. Some of them the very least they're not as good as you they're not good enough to judge you I can't spell jury ladies and gentlemen thank you once again for listening follow us on SoundCloud like us on Facebook subscribe on iTunes just do it 